Join Iron Garden as we uncover the hidden marketing stories that shape our world. Reveal the latest marketing tactics that will shape your future and the amazing people that grow organizations, movements, and businesses. Learn to grow your business and shape the world around you. Welcome to the Garlic Marketing Show with Ian Garlic. And yes, it's Ian, not Ian. That's marketing too. Welcome back to the Garlic Marketing Show and uh, another one of our agency series. We're going to talk about hiring a project manager, project management nightmares with an expert in growing an agency who has been in the second man of a lot of agencies, Carl Sakis. Thank you for being on. Glad to be here. And don't forget, this is brought to you by VideoCaseStory.com. One of the best ways to grow your agency is through Video Case Stories. VideoCaseStory.com is the easy button for strategizing, collecting, crafting, and delivering your video case stories because testimonials just don't work. All right, Carl. Um, so we're going to get into your horror story towards the end because I, I, I love crazy agency stories, war stories. I've, I have plenty of them. We could all sit around and have drinks and cry and laugh. But, um, you know, project management, I think, is one of those things that everyone's kind of haphazardly. And it's just, I know for me, it's like, oh, I'm gonna, you think someone's organized, you're going to hire a project manager. But project management is so important to be done right, and it's so tough to hire for. Tell me about your experience, first of all, in project management before we get into that. So I've been a full-time project manager at an agency. I've also done part-time project management where, for instance, my title was director of client services, but I was doing project management, I was doing account management, I was doing client strategy, I was doing more stuff you know, beyond that. Uh, and I think that's a fairly common situation at agencies. Say if you start an agency, you're doing a bit of everything, taking care of clients, coordinating things internally, doing the work. And over time, you know, people tend to specialize a bit more doing one or two things uh, rather than everything. But you know, e even then, as your agency grows, you still need people to pitch in and do what needs to get done. So maybe you've got a designer who's detail-oriented and they're coordinating things internally. They're serving as a project manager, whether they've had the training or the experience or even the interest in doing it or not. I, if someone is doing project management on top of their regular role, whether as an employee at an agency or as an agency owner, I call that being a deputized project manager. Imagine like, you know, the, the old Western, uh, you know, the bad guys have come into town and, you know, the previous sheriff is, you know, now passed away, grabbing the star off, you know, chest and be like, you're, you're in charge now, you're the sheriff, go solve the problem. Uh, fortunately, things aren't, you know, quite that, that graphic in project management, but it's tough. It's one of those project management is one of those critical roles that people usually don't have training or any kind of a structured ramp up before they're in charge. Yeah. And it, it is critical, critical, critical. So, I mean, did you have any training before you became a project manager? Not really. Uh, I mean, I had done, for instance, Toastmasters training in middle school, my parents sent me to do Toastmasters. So communication wise, that was helpful. I've always been organized. Uh, in college, my, my roommate would make fun of my color-coded calendar, color-coded computer calendar, the, the Palm Pilot <laughs> back in the day. Uh, so, you know, I think I was naturally inclined to be organized and certainly the, the client-facing side, you know, I was a web designer back in the days of dial-up as a freelance web designer in high school and college. 
so you know I, I've had a lot of the pieces, but had not had formal project management training. So it's a, a fairly common situation. And so a lot of the things I figured out by trial and error. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the things you know when you're scheduling meeting with meetings with clients, sometimes you'll offer them a few options. You know, you can use tools like Calendly to self-schedule, but if you need to give people more options, you might say, here are three options, option A, B, and C. And you wait to hear back, and maybe you nudge them, this and that, to find out. Well, I learned the hard way that you need to put holds in your calendar. For instance, you know, every option you offer, put a reserved spot in your calendar. I started as a PM in an agency. I've been, you know, working in the industry for a while. I gave some options, and before the client came back, my boss grabbed one of the spots because I hadn't put holds on the calendar and offered that to another client. So now I had to go back to the brand new client that I was working with and say, actually, uh, the one you just picked isn't an option anymore. Sorry, you know, and I had to tell my boss as well. Uh, she, you know, took it pretty smoothly. She was like, that's why you put holds on the calendar so that people don't steal the spot. And you know what? Since I've done that, I've never double booked myself since then. So it's one of those, you know, there, there are some small tips that make a big impact, uh, but for sure, PM covers a wide ranging thing. So it's basically about getting work done smoothly and profitably. You know, a lot of agencies focus on the sales side, you know, getting work in the door, which is important, uh, or, uh, you know, some of the client relationships, but you still need to ship the work. If you don't ship it, you're not going to get paid. Yep. Yeah, and uh, I want to stop with the holds thing there because I'm yeah. completely selfish here because I, I put holds on my calendar or my team does and then they get left there. How do you manage the holds on your calendar? I'll do a calendar review a couple times a week where I'll review what's coming up in the next week, in the next two weeks, and to sort of see, is there anything hanging out there? You know, that. And I, often my team members will be doing the holds. So part of their process is they'll offer spots. Once we've nailed down one of them, they know, okay, go back and delete the, the, the extra holds. Uh, so some of it's internal process, plus doing that calendar review, reviewing what's coming up is helpful. Yeah, for sure. That's great advice. Um, so what, you know, what are some of the other things that you feel every project manager needs to learn that most likely they're not learning? One is something called the iron triangle of project management. If you've ever heard the joke, good, fast, cheap, pick two. That is about the iron triangle. So imagine you know, if you've got the, the triangle, three sides or three points, budget, timeline, and scope. And so the idea there is that, uh, you know, anytime you're, you're working on a client engagement, whether it's a project or an ongoing retainer, ultimately you're trying to manage those three. Budget of how much money is available for the, the client to spend to get things done. Timeline in terms of how fast you're trying to get it done. And scope in terms of what you've committed to do. Scope tends to be fairly straightforward if you're doing a milestone or deliverable-based project. Uh, it tends to be a bit fuzzier if you're working, say, on an agile basis. Though in that case, the scope you're delivering is you're completing you know, a sprint. And whatever you get done in the sprint is, you know, is what you get done. So iron triangle of, of project management is vital. The budget timeline scope or good, fast, cheap, pick two. And that pick two is really important because when you onboard a client, you want to talk with them about, you know, about the iron triangle. And you want to understand which is their most important priority. 
Is it budget? They've got to stay within the budget. They can't add any more. Maybe there's some flexibility on timeline and scope. Maybe timeline is the must-have. Maybe there's a, an event coming up and they've got to be done. And maybe they're willing to spend more money or potentially cut back on scope as long as the timeline is met. And for other clients, it might be about the scope. The scope must happen. And if they need to throw money and or time at it to get there, if things turn out to be more complicated, uh, you know, that's, that's an option. Uh, so you want to be clear during the onboarding process about what the client's priorities are. And, important point, if you find the client is like, no, no, I want all three of them. I want it to be perfectly on budget, perfectly on time, and perfectly on scope. They're asking for something somewhat unreasonable. And so in that case, you then need to decide, are you willing to take the risk? Or do you need to do some expectations management up front before you move forward. So, you know, we've, you've got the iron triangle, you're gonna discuss it with your clients. When do you discuss that with your client? At a minimum, you need to discuss it prior to the kickoff meeting. You can do what I describe as a pre-kickoff survey. You're asking each of the client stakeholders before kickoff what they're expecting. What does success look like? What are their concerns? Are there specific deliverables they're expecting to get? Things like that. And one of the questions you can ask at that point, you can introduce the idea of the iron triangle, budget, timeline, scope, and you can say, you know, which of these is most important, which is least important. And this gives you an opportunity to see if the stakeholders say, no, we want everything. It's not good, fast, cheap, pick two. They're like, we want everything. You can then work on resetting their expectations. Some of that might come up in the sales process. If you get a sense that the prospect is really high expectations beyond what is reasonable, your salesperson, whether that's you or wearing a sales hat or a separate salesperson can talk about it that. The key thing about the pre-kickoff is it gives you an opportunity to sort out, are there likely to be problems later? For instance, maybe you find that the day-to-day -day client contact has, you know, seems like a good match, their boss, though, expects something totally different from the engagement. Now is the chance to figure that out rather than starting the work and realizing later that the boss is unhappy. Related, make sure that all key stakeholders complete the pre-kickoff survey. If you find that your contact says, oh, well, my boss is too busy, or you know, the CEO said they're not going to be involved, that is either not true or it is wishful thinking on your contact's part. Key thing is all of the key stakeholders need to complete it. If someone is like, oh, they don't have time, yeah, they're going to make time later when they suddenly show up, suddenly get interested, you know, fly in, leave some negative feedback, and leave you to clean up the mess. The technical term for that, by the way, is swoop and poop when the boss comes <laughs> later. And you can prevent that or at least reduce it by ensuring they're engaged in the pre-kickoff process. Yeah, swoop and poop. We've all been there in every project. I, I think, I mean, I think even if you're not an agency, that happens like you're selling cars, right? And all of a sudden the wife comes flying in like, nope, you're not getting this Tesla. Uh <laughs> and I mean, that's, you know, I, 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 it's worth considering that part of qualifying your sales prospects is making sure that the relevant decision makers are in the room. Uh, the, you know, in the example of, you know, are both people who are going to be involved in the car, are they both there? Uh, otherwise, you'll find, the, well, I have to talk to my spouse, you know, I'll get back to you. Uh, and so, for instance, when I'm doing an, an exploratory call with agencies, 
if there are multiple owners, everyone needs to be there on the call uh, rather than, oh, you know, they're going to hear about it later. Uh, and, you know, if you're doing sales at your agency, the key is if you lay out all of the key decision makers need to be at the call, it may not be at the very first call. Maybe you do an initial call and then there's a follow up. Make sure that everyone is there to the point that if you've laid out here, are the people who need to be here, you actually can cancel or reschedule the call if not everyone is there, because otherwise you are wasting your time and the client's time as well. Of course. So let's talk about, you know, the, we talk, you've got this awesome, you know, book, Agency Project Management 101. Uh, it's at uh, seikasandcompany.com slash agency dash PM dash training. Yep. Of course, we'll have a link in the show notes if you're watching yep. YouTube. But, um, you know, are there any other major points to, that someone should be looking at here? Obviously, it's all important stuff, but major ahas that you every agency is probably missing. The You know, we've talked a bit about the Iron Triangle, managing clients' expectations. We've talked about pre-kickoff as part of your onboarding process. I think the key thing to remember, and I touch on this in the agency PM 101 training, is the idea that even if someone has been a client of an agency before, you know, ideally they've been a client before, they haven't been a client of your agency. So it's your job as someone who does this all day long to help your clients understand what to expect. Who are the people involved? How, how much time do they need to invest in getting things done? That's one of the questions I'll ask in my pre-kickoffs around how many hours a week do you expect to be investing in this work? For instance, if you're doing a website relaunch for a client and you know they should be spending 10 to 20 hours a week on their side, and they're like, oh yeah, two hours a week. That's not gonna go smoothly. But because you've done the pre-kickoff, you have an opportunity to dig into that in advance. So the idea of client education, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or one-to-many, is something that a lot of agencies miss. But if you choose to do that, to help people understand what does it mean to be a good client, to get good results at our agency, everyone's gonna be happy. It's so important, so important. And you know, make people happy and, get stuff done. Um, yeah. and I, you know, it's, and that's once again, another thing that every business really, if you have any type of service business, you should be doing this with any type of service business for your lawyer, Absolutely. a doctor, dentist. I mean, it, it, what's going to happen, what you have to do, you know, it's fun, interesting too, because I think a lot of them don't realize that they don't tell people this until they're like sitting in the seat across from them. And, and, and now the, it's been a whirlwind of information and you, you know, and you tell them once and you think they're going to remember it. <laughs> Probably not. I, you know, I had a client who had a concern about his internal team not following a certain process at his agency, about 15 to 20 people. And I was like, oh, okay, so they're not following it. Uh, how did you tell them about it? He had told them once at a meeting several months before. And he was surprised <laughs> why they were doing it. And so that's one of those, you know, if like every time they see him, he's like, hey, how's the such and such going? people will eventually realize, oh, you know what? I guess I should be doing that. So people can't read your mind. Uh, I have had team members over the years who have been able to read my mind. That is a very rare quality. Yes, yes. And people won't remember every single thing you say. <laughs> no. I mean, for some, you know, in my work with agency owners, I mean, they don't always remember everything they, they said. I mean, and that's part of running a business in that, you know, you're juggling a lot. You've got a lot to do. You know, th this is my third business since high school. My 
parents had a, a small business that I helped in growing up. My grandfather was a business professor and consultant for 40 some years. You know, running a business is tough. Mm -hmm. And we rely on a good team to help us get things done and different processes and things like that. Uh, but, you know, it's hard. If, if running a business were easy, everyone would, would do it. Yeah. And it's not, it's not easy. And, and you have to have clarity. And I love the idea of the process. It's one of the things we always with our clients is, you know, make process videos and explain to them from their, their side how you make a how the process works and don't assume that they understand the process because they've worked with another agency like you said everyone's process is different who you're going to work with how long it takes especially in agency world yes where, where there's not you know one way of, of doing everything and you know consider say if you're recording a process video what can you share at the beginning so i'm onboarding a new team member so if i'm recording a video you know if it's something we haven't documented already I'll say, okay, the point of this training is this, like, here's the goal for what we're doing. And I'll also say, here are the accounts or documents or things you need access to for this to work. So that way they know rather than, you know, halfway through the video, oh, they don't have access to such and such. They know at the yep. beginning rather than wasting everyone's time. Very important. I mean, it's, it's a great, a great thing to do. You know, we actually had, you know, another agency on once talking about you can you should even make process videos for how your website works especially if you're like in e-commerce and people don't know this stuff and you might think oh it's a checkout and you go to the shopping cart but how does that work like it's the more you can clarify the better you're gonna be you know, across the board i love that idea i had a boss like to say we are uh, this is if you're speaking the the same language as your clients uh we are separated by a common language just because you assume something means something doesn't mean that everyone else does. And so through empathy and putting yourself in other shoes and things like that, you can make things better. Yes. And I'd love that separate by a common language. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to write that down because that was great. So now I've got the, how can I tell if I'm, if I should be in the project manager role, if I have the right person in the project manager role, or should I hire a project manager? Because I think a lot of agencies, it's like, what, you know, what, what should I do here? How, what are the signals of that? So in my work, I've identified six agency roles. Every job at an agency fits into six categories. And let's consider the categories, and that'll help you decide which ones to delegate first. So you've got account management, keep the clients happy, often sell them more work project management, get the work done smoothly and profitably, your subject matter experts, your SMEs, those are your designers, developers, writers, analysts, people who are doing their craft all day long. You've got strategists who are doing client strategy. They're sort of a super SME. They're a bit account manager. They're a bit subject matter expert. They tend to have broad expertise. The strategist job is to maximize the return on investment of the client's budget. Client has this budget, here's how we help them reach their goals within what they've got. The final two categories are internally facing, uh, or, or at least uh, not, uh, not billable generally, uh, biz dev, which is really three things, marketing, sales, and partnerships. Those are external, but they're not billing. Uh, and then the final category is support, which is about operations and leadership. So if you are an agency owner, you're probably gonna keep doing the leadership side of support for you know, as long as you're running the business, unless you say choose to move from CEO to a chair role. I've helped clients through that process where they wanna 
bring someone else in to run things. But in the meantime, you'll still be doing leadership. The things that, that you know, if, if we're like, what do we get off your plate first? Some of that depends on your preferences. For instance, if you love sales, you can keep doing sales. If you don't like sales, you probably want to get that off your plate sooner. Usually it makes sense to delegate the subject matter expert work first, the kind of day-to-day -day crunching through stuff. Then it's probably time to delegate the project management side, more internally facing, coordinating the internal team. Then I typically see people delegate account management. They have someone else helping manage the client relationships. Maybe the owner is handling the biggest relationships, but someone else is handling you know, the smaller and medium-sized ones, maybe the newer relationships, things like that. Usually client strategy tends to be late in the delegation process because you know, a lot of agency owners will say, well, no one knows it as well as I do. Uh, one client had said that you know, he was doing a lot of the client strategy work, even as his agency was growing and he wanted to stop. If you don't want to stop, that's fine. You can keep doing it. Uh, but he wanted to stop. And, and I said, okay, well, who on your team could do the client strategy work? He's like, oh, I think I'd have to hire someone. And I said, okay, how much would you need to pay someone at the relevant skill level? He said, $150,000. Like, yeah, that sounds about right. He was like, that's $150,000. And I said, true, but you're paying yourself double that plus distributions from profits. If you can bring in the $150,000 person, you can be paying yourself 300,000 plus distributions and focus on the stuff you want to do. Plus, if they're a strategist at that level, they're going to be billing more than 150,000 a year. And importantly, there's a multiplier effect. That strategist work helps you bring in billable people to do other work, subject matter experts and things like that. So, you know, in, in that case, the business case was hard to say not to hire someone and, and indeed he did. That's great. That's great advice. So how do you judge if you have the right person in the project management role? How do you, how do you qualify your project manager? The ideal PM is going to be detail oriented. If you're familiar with the DISC assessment, D-I-S-C, they're going to be high C conscientiousness. Uh, you know, there may be some other things as well. Uh, for instance, uh, in my case, I am high details, high urgency that tends to be a good combination for project management because it's managing the details and moving things forward to get things done. It's not necessarily a must have, but it, it is helpful. Uh, so some of that is just what are people's natural preferences? The other thing would be, what is their prior experience with the, the type of the work? You know, a lot of people would say, well, hire for, you know, mindset and culture and don't worry about the skills. That's one of those things that sounds good, but if you mm -hmm. find someone who you know is a great match on paper, but they have no experience, you're gonna spend 10 hours a week training them up. If you have that, great, it, it, it's a good investment. Uh, but you know, if they haven't done it before, you're gonna find they're making mistakes for the first time. Uh, like you, know, you mentioned about horror stories. I, I can tell by my horror story, uh, you know, when you're ready, about uh, scheduling the kickoff before even finalizing the budget or the contract. Don't do that. Uh, so <laughs> when you hire a PM, an experienced PM has made those mistakes before. Like, you know, uh, thinking of launching a client website and you forget to install the Google Analytics tracking code or other related tracking codes and realize a month later, uh-oh, we have no data. 
you do that once. I mean, I did that earlier in my career. You do it once and you will never do that again. And you will make sure everyone around you never does it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, also PMs and not just the details, but also need to have the relevant people skills to you know, work with clients, both, uh, both clients and work with internal team members. And, uh, you know, a project manager usually isn't going to have quite the people skills that an account manager or a salesperson will have. But that's why ideally you split the project manager and account manager roles. I talk a bit about this in the agency PM 101 course. You know, in the early days of the agency, everyone's doing everything. Sometimes it's you as the owner doing everything. And then you have someone doing external account management and internal project management. Problem is they're competing profiles. The account managers keep the clients happy, you know, give them more work, uh, throw in an extra this, this and that. Um, often tend to be people pleasers for better or for worse. Project managers, on the other hand, are more about what's in scope, what's in budget, what's on the timeline, and can be a little too much on, you know, following the rules. So the ideal is you've got the project manager focused on getting things done and the account manager keeping the client happy and you can create some good tension where the AM is like, well, you know, let's give them something free. And the PM's like, no. And, but then the PM might be a little too mean, a little too harsh. And the AM, you know, they, they balance each other out. Love it. And that's great, great advice. So, um, you know, you've got all this awesome information on a project manager, but still, even with all your experience, things went wrong, things go wrong. And you were talking yeah. a little bit about that horror story of project management going wrong. And so, you know, this whole season's about stories. So, okay, I wanna hear that story. <laughs> so I just started a new role at an agency. I had started as a director of client services. So I was doing a little bit of everything, project management, account management, client strategy, even some subject matter expert work while coordinating the team as well. And we had this sales opportunity. And the sales opportunity was to do a project for an Olympic athlete. Now, as an athlete, she didn't directly need marketing, right? It was you know, more about training for, you know, for, for the Olympics. But in between the Olympics, she was building her public speaking platform as a motivational speaker. And she needed help. She needed a website. She needed print material. She needed photos for all of all the materials. And my agency could help. Now, I don't know exactly how this had unfolded, uh, but when I joined the agency, I learned that uh, we were doing this project, but everything was kind of fuzzy. We didn't have a final scope. We didn't have a final budget. Oh there wasn't gosh. even a contract yet saying that things were officially going to happen. It was going to be a mix of cash and trade though, some cash, and then she would make you know, uh, appearances at events and so on, um, on behalf of the agency. So this seemed a little haphazard, but the owner was really excited about the work. Uh, and so I felt like I was kind of, you know, along for the ride. Well, they had scheduled the photo shoot. They had booked, uh, or were booking a stadium at a local university. Uh, we were going to send like three people out from the agency for the photo shoot and getting everything done. And I was thinking, this seems like a bad idea. We're investing all of this time and all of this energy, and we haven't received any money, much less a finalized budget, much less a contract. And so I was able to persuade my boss to say, well, okay, let's do this. How about they pay us $500 now, 
And once we have the final photos and we're ready to turn the photos over, which I knew they wanted, I figured there was some leverage, they pay us an additional $500. And then in the meantime, we're finalizing the contract and then we can proceed with the rest. Everyone will be happy. So I got the $500 from the, the athlete's agent and uh, the photo shoot day came, got some great photos. And, you know, meanwhile, the, things were a little paused on the negotiation. I, I wasn't doing that sales negotiation, uh, but we finished the photo shoot, we get the photos, and I send an update to the athlete's agent. And I said, hey, good news, we've got the photos. I've sent you an invoice for the second 500 while we're sorting it out. Once the payment comes through, I'll send you the, you know, the, the file with all of the photos. And the agent came back and said, ooh, we just lost our major sponsor and we're going to have to pull the plug on the entire project. Oh my God. Yes. So there were no appearances. There was no website. There were no other things. And we were also weren't going to get that second $500. Now we didn't turn over the photos. I guess we had some, some leverage there, although they did seem to use some of the, the like Facebook versions of the photos later. That did not go well, but I took a lesson from that. My lesson from that was this, do not even schedule the kickoff meeting until you have a signed contract and an initial payment. Or if it's a case where they're not gonna pay in advance, at least a finalized purchase order so that you know you're gonna get paid when you send the invoice. Don't even schedule the kickoff meeting until signed and paid. Yeah, no, that's, that's yeah, uh, or that's crazy. And, and if, if your client or your prospective client is like, well, we really, really want to start, we, you know, we, we can't wait for that. Let's just get started anyway. I, I mean, nothing gives you leverage like saying we can't start. This is our policy until the payment and the you know signature are in. Let the client prove how serious they are about starting yeah. by signing and paying. Yeah. So, you know, I, I've adopted that policy. I've worked with, at this point, over 400 agencies and, wow. you know, 100 plus clients over the years between web design, freelancing and working at, at the different agencies. And you know what? By following that policy, I've not gotten burned. No, yeah, for, for sure. You learned the hard way. Oh, wow. Well, Carl, this has been awesome. Thank you for uh, talking to us about project management today. I think it's an important, important subject. Uh, we can find you at sakusandcompany.com. There at the bottom, you'll be able to find that project manager training. Uh, what's the best way to connect with you as well? Well, certainly if you visit sakusandcompany.com, you'll see hundreds of free articles. Uh, you can see the project management training, which you know, speaking about learning things the hard way versus the easy way, it's a lot easier to learn from, you know, from others' mistakes rather than your own. So the yes. campus, of course, helps. Uh, I'm also at Carl Sakis on Twitter. Uh, if you visit my website, I have a newsletter with free tips that more than one agency owner has said is one of the only emails they read every time they get it. Uh, so check it out, free tips at sakisandcompany.com. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Carl, thank you so much for being on the Garlic Marketing Show. Glad to be here. Thank you. And thank you for taking Carl and I on your journey. This has been Iron Garlic and the Garlic Marketing Show. Video. You know what will make you an authority? 
you know it will get you more leads, better leads that close faster and spend more with you. And video stories will help you be remembered and connect with those perfect clients. The problem is, where do you start? Storycruise.com is the place to go. It's like a film crew with an S. What's your strategy? Do you do it yourself? Do you hire a videographer, an agency? Do you need an editor? How do you know if they really know your business and how to make videos for business that work? The answer to all of this and more can be found at storycruise.com. It is the place to find the latest video marketing strategies, the best gear for your business, as well as videographers, editors, and agencies near you that are trained in video storytelling for business. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get special insider info for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show, including special access to several of my courses, including my case story course. Go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get a whole bunch of special offers just for listeners of the Garlic Marketing Show. Whether you're looking for a videographer or to do it yourself, go to storycruise.com slash garlic to get started today. That's it for the Garlic Marketing Show. If you want to get the inside scoop and the latest techniques, make sure to follow Ian Garlic on Facebook. Facebook.